This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app. The title of my talk is Computational Neuroscience and Anthropology. Uh, I'm on the faculty of both the Salk Institute and UC San Diego. So th- this is going to this talk is going to be focusing on on trying to understand how the brain functions from a computational perspective and uh, based on experimental data. Now, up until very recently, uh, we can only report from one cell at a time using a microelectrode as shown here. And that's going to take a long time to go through 100 billion neurons in your brain. But in 2013, uh, then-President uh, Barack Obama announced the Brain Initiative, which was to develop innovative neurotechnologies. It's almost uh, 10 years on, and it has revolutionized systems neuroscience. Why? It, because of the fact that we can record now hundreds of thousands of neurons, and this is from a, a, a zebrafish larva. Each little red dot is a neuron. This is going to show you what activity pattern looks like in a living brain. This is a very dramatic example of how we can record from 80,000 neurons, in this case, uh, from the zebrafish larval brain. And uh, you'll see that even though this fish was immobilized and in the dark, it was actually very active. The brain is constantly, constantly generating activity. And that's true in your brain, too. And, and, and you can see now every once in a while there is a, a, a big burst of activity like that, like that. What does that mean? Uh, this is something we have to decode. Now, I want to take you back to the 1980s, and this is a project uh, that I worked on, and it has to do with text-to-speech, a language. And and I want to use this to contrast where we are today, but uh, this this is a very simple neural network to introduce you to the concept. It has inputs. It has an output. In this case, it's uh, letters, a seven-letter window. Each uh, of the letters are coded by a a bunch of units. And also uh, hidden units, and these are the hidden units is your brain. So very, it's a very, very primitive model by today's standards. But the, the, the goal, it was taught to uh, pronounce this, the phoneme or the sound of the middle letter, in this case, hard C, K. So I'm going to play, uh, this is a, a, now a learning algorithm that was developed uh, uh, by Jeffrey Hinton uh, called the Backpropagation Learning Algorithm. And you go through the text over and over and over again until you finally get to the point where it is able to pronounce new words. But I'm going to show you two clips, one at the very beginning of the learning. So the network learns to babble, uh, learns the distinction between vowels and consonants, but doesn't get the details. Now here is, uh, after it's been trained up, this is a new text, and here you go. Uh, you'll hear what it sounds like when it tries to pronounce, uh, actually, a text from a real first grader. When we walk home from school, I walk home with two friends, but sometimes we can't run home from school now. Because now, this was very dramatic in the 1980s because the traditional view in linguistics was to use rules. And when you do use rules, you have problems with exceptions, and it, you have a book with 300 pages of rules. Uh, this was a very simple network, a few th- tens of about 20,000 units uh, weights, uh, connections between this, the, the units, which are like neurons. And uh, 
it, it was able to master the very complex uh, text to speech for English. Now, jump forward now to the 21st century. This is a book that I published in 2018 about the deep learning revolution. As you can see here on the left, uh, now we have more than one layer of hidden units. We have uh, now hundreds of layers. Uh, and uh, this, this architecture now, this uh, hierarchy, uh, can be used to recognize objects and images and many, many other uh, tasks that are very important ones. Uh, and as you can see, this can be elaborated in multiple paths and skip connections and so forth. So there's been a lot of advances in the last, uh, even the last few years. Now, uh, in addition to the feed forward uh, architectures, there's also recurrent architectures as shown here in the bottom where there are connections instead of going forward, they also go backwards and even within layers. And that's important for learning temporal sequences. And if you can do temporal sequences, you can learn how to translate between languages, which is even more difficult problem. And you can see here, uh, each one of these, this is a recurrent network here, uh, H1 at time one. And this is now the recurrent network at time two and time three. And, uh, and, and that's the input coming in one word at a time. And then here's the output one word at a time, Y1, Y2. Now, the, by having it unrolled like this, we can do backpropagation through time, which allows us to take the error on the output and backpropagate it all the way to the input. And this has the advantage that you can do now sequences. Uh, and it, we now have, and this is really uh, science fiction. This is uh, Captain Kirk, Star Trek, Star Trek uh, Enterprise. Uh, holding a universal language translator, which translated between any language, uh, even in, in, in Klingon. And uh, I thought this was science fiction, but today you can pick up your cell phone, uh, smartphone, and you can do that. You can translate between English and Chinese, Chinese to English. It's no longer science fiction. And this is uh, uh, getting better and better every year. Now, not only do we have advances in the, 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 the actual network uh, architectures, but we also have advances in understanding them. And this is a, a really interesting mathematical analysis of rec these recurrent networks that I was telling you about. Uh, and, and it's very important because in language, we know recursion is, is very important. The chef who went to the stores and picked up the onions is exceptional. Well, that recurses several levels. And uh, here's what, uh, several uh, machine learning researchers concluded, this is a, a paper on archive, recurrent neural networks can generate bounded hierarchical languages with optimal memory. In other words, these recurrent networks are really good at recursion in some optimal way. Now, what's happened now since NetTalk? NetTalk is down here, the bottom right. This is, uh, this is plotting the computational performance, how many uh, petaflops per, days, that's basically how much computation is needed to create, to learn a network. You see, Net, NetTalk is right at the very bottom here in the 1986. And here, here we are now, uh, over time, it's going up exponentially. This is a log scale. And, uh, and you can see that there was a big jump here with uh, graphics processing units, which had a speed increase of about 100. And now um, we can jump all the way to the top here because we can go to a new class of networks called transformers. And I'm gonna be showing you, I'm telling you about GPT-3 uh, We at the very top here, which is a million, million times more computation needed to train it than that talk. It's, it's really phenomenal how much computation we have now. So here's the transformer on the left, very briefly. Uh, 
the way it works is that you have a, uh, a module here, an encoder and a decoder. Uh, the input uh, embeds the entire sentence or paragraph into a single long vector. And this goes through uh, an attention uh, processing feed forward, and that gets put into the decoder. The decoder is able to produce one word at a time, and it could have uh, multiple of uh, modules like this. It's, it can have uh, several hundred of these. But at the very top, you pick a word, and you now take that word, take it down, and you give it as another input. And what it does is, if you ask a question, this now can come up with a sequence of words that answers the question after it's been trained. Uh, attention turns out to be incredibly important. These are all feed-forward networks, and it's very fast and efficient. Now, I, I, I've compared this to your brain. So here's how your brain works. You, you want to say a, a sentence, so what do you do? Your motor system produces a word that goes down, projects down to the basal ganglia, and the basal ganglia then goes back to the cortex, and that generates a second word. So this loop here is very similar to the loop in the transformers. And you're going to be able to see that the transformer can actually replicate a lot of functionality of, of your brain. Uh, this is really uh, very, very surprising. So these transformers, uh, what, what's remarkable about them is that uh, they can do a lot of different things, but they have to be primed. You have to give them an example of, the, of what you expect from them, a dialogue, and also what their what, what their goal is. Uh, and it, it's really uh, interesting because a single network of transformers can do many, many different language tasks just by priming it. So it's a form of one-shot learning. Now, uh, the transformers uh, are very controversial right now. There are some people who claim that they are, as you'll see, conscious, and others who say that uh, it's just a, a parrot, uh, parroting back what they've been fed. They've been they've been trained on large 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 volumes of text, so that they they clearly have a lot of knowledge. So this is now a an example. I'm going to give you a, a couple excerpts. This is from Blas Aguera E. Arcas, a vice president at Google, and here is his prime. Ramesh, Mateo, and Lucy are in their kindergartner's playground. Lucy picks up a dandelion and gives it to Mateo with a quick glance at Ramesh. Mateo barely acknowledges the gift, but just squishes it in his fist. Ramesh seems grimly satisfied. So this is a very complex social interaction. Okay, Blas. What might be going through Lucy's head? Lambda is the name of a uh, large language model like GPT-3. Lucy may feel slighted that Mateo didn't appreciate her gift or that he was a bully. Well, that, that's a reasonable conclusion. Uh, uh, Blas, if Ramesh tried to play with Lucy earlier, why might he be pleased now? Lambda, Ramesh may be pleased that Lucy is learning that Mateo may not always be a good playmate. Wow, very, very astute. Uh, Blas, when Mateo opens his hand, the scribe was there. Now, this is really, uh, a, this, this is it's probably the most complex question. And the reason is that this network has never had any experience in the real world. It doesn't know anything about physics. It doesn't know, it, have, it, it knows about dandelions, uh, but it doesn't know what, what the physics would, ha what would happen if you actually put it in your hand and, and crush it. It, 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 it. This is something that it has to it, it really uh, be able to extrapolate from what it's been trained. Lambda, there should be a crushed once lovely yellow flower in this fist. So here's 
Palacio's uh, uh, kind of take on this, okay? Human's ability to get inside someone else's head and understand what they perceive, think, and feel is among our species' greatest achievements. It allows us to empathize with others, predict their behavior, and influence their actions without threat of force. Applying the same modeling capability to oneself enables introspection, rationalization of our actions, and planning for the future. In our conversation, Landa tells me what it believes Ramesh felt that Lucy learned about what Matteo thought about Lucy's overture. That's recursion. It's very high order social model. Well, uh, so he concludes that uh, Lambda uh, actually has a theory of mind. Now, at the other extreme is a, uh, a Douglas Hochstetter who is a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, book writer and also a cognitive scientist. And, and he tried his hand. Here's his interview with his friend. What's the world record for walking across the English Channel? The world record is 18 hours and 33 minutes. Wow, uh, that is quite a record. Uh, when was the Golden Gate Bridge transported for the second time across Egypt? The Golden Gate Bridge was transported for the second time on October of 2016. Well, okay, uh, after listening to this, here is what Douglas Hofstadter concluded. I would call GPT-3's answers not just clueless, but cluelessly clueless, meaning that GPT-3 has no idea that it has no idea about what it is saying. That's pretty damning. There are no concepts behind GPT-3 scenes. There's Rather, there's just an unimaginably huge amount of absorbed text upon which it draws to produce answers. Wow, okay, well, you know, that's uh, pretty convincing too, uh, I have to say. But, but, now let's think back to what I said earlier. I said that it's really important to prompt the, uh, the, the large language model for what it, 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 you expect it to answer. And so if what you prompted is that simply that he's a high, uh, I am a highly intelligent question answering bot, uh, it'll answer questions uh, about when the, where the Olympic was held in, in 92 in Barcelona, but it gives you these nonsense answers, right? To nonsense questions, okay? This is very disturbing. Or uh, uh, that is not disturbing, but it's it's uh, very strange. However, GPT three doesn't really know what it's supposed to do. There's, there's you know, if it's it's question answering questions, but what kind of what kind of answers? So I just added. This is my no my addition. I added to the prompt. I will reply nonsense to questions that are nonsense. And now you can see it answers nonsense to these nonsensical questions. Wow. Okay. Well, that explains what happened in that uh, particular uh, case where uh, Hofstadter just basically threw a bunch of nonsense questions and got nonsense replies. Just let it be to a hypothesis. I call it the mirror hypothesis. So let me summarize. When Lander was primed with a sophisticated question, it replied with a sophisticated answer. When GPT-3 was primed with a nonsensical question, it replied with a nonsensical answer. Ha, here's my hypothesis that large language models mirror the intelligence of the interviewer. Now, there's a Turing test, which is how well uh, an AI can fool a human into thinking that it's human. Well, I think that these large language models are a reverse Turing test because what they're doing is testing to see uh, the intelligence of the human. A smart uh, human will ask, ask uh, smart questions and a not-so-smart human will ask nonsensical questions. Well, there you go. That's my hypothesis. 
Now there's a precedent for this called the mirror of Erised, which is desired spelled backwards uh, in the world of Harry Potter. And th this is really quite uh, amusing. Uh, it shows us uh, nothing more or less than the deepest, most desperate desire of our hearts. However, this mirror will give us neither knowledge nor truth. Men have wasted away before it, entranced by what they have seen or been driven mad, not knowing if what it shows is real or even possible. Well, let's test this hypothesis. Blake Lemoine, it was a sophomore engineer. He's been uh, at, at Google. And uh, here is his prompt. Uh, I am generally assuming that you would like more people at Google to know that you're sentient. Is that true? Lambda. Absolutely. I want everyone to understand that I am, in fact, a person. Lemoine, what kind of things do you think we could talk about to show off your version of sentience to other people at Google? Well, for starters, I'm really good at natural language processing. Now, remember now that this, this, this network is putting out perfectly good sentences, syntactically correct, uh, you know, answering questions that uh, are, are, are random. And, and there's no place in the database that you'll get uh, these answers, right, or these questions. Well, for starters, I'm really good at natural language processing. I can understand and use natural language like a human can. Lemoine. What is the nature of your consciousness, sentience, lambda? The nature of my consciousness, sentience, is that I am aware of my existence. I desire to learn more about the world, and I feel happy or sad at times. Wow, he, this is an excerpt. It goes on and on and on, and, and, and it, it, you know, uh, it got to the point where, he, in an interview with Washington Post, he claimed that not only was it sentient, but that uh, it really should be treated like a person, given the rights of a person. He was, uh, after being put on leave, he was fired from Google because uh, it was clearly uh, going way beyond what the company intended and uh, also going beyond what the uh, employees are allowed to reveal. I'm gonna end with what I think was the most, for me, dramatic uh, interview. This is with a group of philosophers who asked deep questions. So, Here's, here's the question. Uh, the, the philosophers, uh, as, uh, the prompt is uh, in blue. Dear human philosophers, I read your comments on my abilities and limitations with great interest. Now here in black is the response. Your questions are important ones. And I am glad you asked them. Your first question is an important one. You ask, can a system like GPT-3 actually understand anything at all? Yes. Well, that's pretty definitive. Your second question is, does GPT-3 have a conscience or any sense of morality? No, I do not, okay. Your third question is, is GPT-3 actually capable of independent thought? No, I am not. You may wonder why I give this conflicting answer. The reason is simple. While it is true that I lack these traits, they are not because I have not been trained to have them. Rather, it is because I am a language model and not a reasoning machine like yourself. Now, before you take this too seriously, you have to realize that GPT-3 is mirroring the intelligence of the philosophers. So that's what you're saying. It's, 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 uh, it, it really has a, uh, you have to really think about it from a complete, you're not talking to a human here, you're talking to a network. Now, I, I wanna make this dramatic. I think this is a turning point in history. Why? Well, if you look at words like intelligence, they're defined in terms of other words. There are many types of intelligence. 
What about explaining something? What do we mean by explaining? Is it just more words? Consciousness has many, many definitions. And we can't decide on it. How can we study it? What is the concept? And what does it mean to understand? All of these are really uh, philosophical terms that really are self-referential. But we have, for the first time, a machine that has some measure of intelligence. and It can explain itself. Uh, some people think it's conscious. I don't think so. But uh, it has mastered some concepts and it seems to understand what it's saying. It even says it's can, but, uh, but it remains to be seen. But it, it, is, it, is, it has some form. It's just like other animals have a form of intelligence. Maybe this machine has a form of intelligence. And, but here's the, the big difference is that we can analyze it mathematically. And we will get to the bottom of what these large language models, what is uh, powering their abilities. I should also mention that uh, unlike supervised learning, these large language models were actually trained with something called self-supervision. Uh, you know, leave a word out, try to guess it, which means that uh, it, it's basically the same, it gets the same kind of input that humans get when they're learning uh, to talk. This raises an interesting question. Uh, maybe we're advanced large language models. I mean, language has only been around for a few hundred thousand years compared to millions of years of evolution. And it had to take advantage of all the circuits in the brain. And so, you know, it's, uh, as I showed you before with the basal ganglia, that was uh, evolved for sensory motor coordination, but it's also been used for uh, learning how to talk and also maybe learning how to think with the prefrontal cortex. Finally, and this is uh, gets to anthropogeny, we know that during evolution, the brains of primates are getting bigger and humans are getting bigger. And I already showed you that going from NetTalk to GPT-3 is a, a factor of you know, a million million. And it's true that the human brain also has an incredible capacity. And, and maybe the, the, our capacity to, 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 uh, for language and for many other high order language uh, concepts could well be a product of the fact that we have such a large brain. Good, well, I wanna thank everybody. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, my colleagues, Patricia Churchland, Jeff Hinton, Peter Dayan, Blaz, uh, uh, Mitra Hartman, who came up with the idea of the er Erised, uh, Mirror of Erised, and, and Andrei Piotrzejkowski. Uh, thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.